Hey, I want you to take your Bibles tonight and go to Matthew chapter 5. And um, I don't preach this sermon very often. Every night I have preached to the church, to the body. When I announce the title of the message tonight, somebody's going to say, boy, I picked a terrible night to make this my one night to come. But it's incumbent on every man of God to preach a sermon like I'm going to preach tonight. Um, I'm going to preach on the subject of hell. But I want to do it a little differently tonight. I want you to know something. And students, in a minute, I'm going to ask there be no moving about, no talking. Your students are fantastic. Uh, but you say, but Brother Rick, if I talk, will it bother you? No, you could run around the building. It wouldn't bother me. But somebody around you may need to hear the Word of God. And God has so changed my life with this message, not because of the preacher, because Jesus, the big preacher students, is doing the preaching. This will be full of so much Scripture. But I learned some things, even as a Christian, I learned some things about this place called hell. And if everybody in this house is saved tonight... Every believer needs to hear this message, just to be reminded of the urgency, of the urgency of what we're about and what we're doing. I'm preaching tonight on this subject, a trip to hell and back, a trip to hell and back. And I want everybody to know something, students, the big preacher is doing the preaching. Jesus is doing the preaching. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter five and stand for just two verses of scripture, and then I'll preach. I'm aware that more people probably come to Christ with sermons on the blood or sermons on love than messages on hell because it is so in our face. But there's some things Jesus wants us to hear tonight. Matthew 5, and I'll read just two verses and keep your fingers loose because we're going to move around the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, two verses for now, 29 and 30. I'm not preaching. Jesus said this. Matthew 5, 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, Jesus said, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Using the Bible as a travel brochure, tonight Jesus is going to take us on a trip to hell and back. That's what I'm preaching on tonight, a trip to hell and back. Thank God for the reading of his inerrant, infallible, inspired book. Please be seated and pray with me. My God, it is with fear and trembling I stand here tonight. Because God is a preacher of the gospel. I confess what Brother Shane knows and every other preacher here. God, this is not my favorite subject to preach on. So God, I pray I would preach it with a broken heart. God, I pray I would preach it with a burdened heart, a compassionate heart. I pray I'd preach it with the heart of Jesus. God, I need your divine touch. God, would you loose me and let me go? And God, I declare to my enemy to get out of this place and stay out in the name of Jesus. And I pray you do the preaching, God, and I promise to praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. In John 17, 17, Jesus said that God's word is the truth. I still love the story of the young pastor that was gonna preach his very first wedding Going to be one of them big formal occasions. Going to be one of those packed houses, and he was nervous. And so he decided to take the edge off. He would open the ceremony by finding a passage on love. So he whipped his concordance out, found 1 John 4.18 that says, Perfect love, cast out fear. That was his verse. Couldn't wait. The day of the ceremony arrived. The bride and groom stood down front. All the candles were lit. The flowers smelled beautiful. 500 people packed the place. And that old boy was nervous. Looked down at his Bible to read that opening verse, but he was so nervous, his hands were shaking, and his finger fell over the one in 1 John. And instead of reading 1 John 4.18, he read John 4.18. 
John 4, 18 is the story of the Samaritan woman. And Jesus looked down at the bride, uh, the man looked down at the bride and said, Jesus said, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. Son, I don't believe that's the verse that old girl wanted to hear, do you? Now I'm aware, Brother Shane, when I preach this message tonight, I'm going to say some verses folk don't want to hear. There's even some verses Christians don't want to hear. He said, Brother Rick, why in the world would you preach a message like this on such an uplifting night when you've had such great music? I'm going to tell you why. We preach on the subject of hell because Jesus preached on the subject of hell. As a matter of fact, do you understand, students, that Jesus is standing here in Matthew 5 in front of one of the biggest crowds of his entire ministry? This is known as the Sermon on the Mount. I'm aware of something, preacher, as I study the Word of God. Did you know that almost every time Jesus got a big crowd together, he preached on hell? Matter of fact, Jesus Christ preached on hell more than any preacher in the Bible. He not only preached on hell more than any preacher of the Bible, he preached on hell more than all of the preachers of the Bible combined. Did you know that one out of every eight verses in your Bible from the lips of the King of Kings is on the subject of hell? Did you know 10 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, where I'm at tonight, the King of Glory preached on the subject of hell? And I've thought about it, preacher. Why in the world would the Prince of Peace preach on a place of pain? Why in the world would the light of the world preach on a place of darkness? Why in the world would the lily of the valley preach on a place of absolute horror and heartbreak? And I finally come to the conclusion, y'all know why? Because he don't want you to go there. That's why. And so Jesus tells us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he starts right here in the 30th verse of Matthew 5 with these words. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable of thee that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Now you students of the Bible already know this. There's a number of words in the Greek in your New Testament for hell. This is one of those words from which we get the term the lake of fire. So this is the final hell. This is the hideous place. Jesus is talking about the lake of fire. And I'll say it one more time. You don't have to go there. Did I not tell you there's another place? Son, I got my reservation. They're written down in blood. One of these days I'm going to take a first class trip and I'm going to fly to the king's gate. I'm going to kneel at the king's throne. I'm going to walk down the king's street. I'm going to sit down at the king's table. I'm going to drink the king's wine and I'm going to eat the king's food and about the time the party really gets rocking I'm going to stand up little old me and I'm going to sing a song to the king and I already know what I'm going to sing worthy is the lamb that was slain because the only reason I'm not going to hell is the blood of the lamb of God hallelujah so you know what Jesus is doing tonight that same king's taking us on a trip he's going to take us teenagers on a trip to hell and back and we're coming back We're coming back because I don't want to stay. We're coming back because I don't need to stay. We're coming back because, hallelujah, I don't have to stay. I believe that Jesus were here tonight. He would say three things about hell according to his word that all of us need to know. Number one, I believe Jesus would want every one of us to know, don't miss this, the reason that there's a hell. I believe Jesus wants to know the reason there's hell. Going to get good now, son. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 13. Still Jesus is preaching, students. I want you to know what Jesus says, the reason there's hell. Watch what Jesus said in verse 49. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 49, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come and sever the wicked from among the just. 
Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about a hideous place, and I've got to tell everybody right now why that place is there. See, preacher, there might be somebody sitting in this building tonight, and you're thinking, what a cruel God. What a cruel God waiting to pitch people into hell. May I tell you, you need to understand the reason there's a hell. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you two reasons there's a hell. Number one, there is a hell because a snake must have a cage. I'm going to run that by you one more time. There's a hell because a snake must have a cage. We're still Bible studying. Got your fingers loose. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew 25. I told you it talks about hell all throughout Matthew's gospel. Look at Matthew 25. I want every student to hear this. I want you students to know the reason that there's a hell. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41. Jesus said this. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire. Here's the word. Prepared. Everybody say prepared. Prepared for the devil and his angels. The word prepared there literally means designed or constructed. Teenagers, the Bible said hell's made for the devil. Hell is prepared for the devil because a snake must have a cage. I'm a traveling evangelist. And over the years, I've stayed in some unusual places. Now, I stay in hotels almost exclusively now, and I'm not a demanding person, but I demand that. Uh, preacher, I've stayed in prophets' rooms. I've stayed in empty rooms in churches. Now, I'm going to tell you something, boys. There's something creepy about an empty church. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you don't believe me, boys, some of you studs come in here tonight with the lights off and sit down. See how long you stay, son. There's something about an empty church. So I've stayed in empty churches, and I've stayed all over the place. Early my day, early days of evangelism, preacher, I stayed in homes. I tried to be accommodating, so I'd stay in people's houses. I don't do that no more. I've had some unusual experiences in homes, and so I don't stay in homes. But this is the early days. Pastor picked me up at the airport, takes me to his house. He said, now, Brother Rick, you're staying at our home. He said, my 14-year-old son, my 5-year-old daughter's there. You've got my 14-year-old boy's room. He's excited you're coming. He's cleaned it up. And I walked in. I looked at the room, and I began to survey it. It was really clean. And then I looked over, and on the dresser, there was an aquarium. And the aquarium had no water in it. And the reason it had no water in it is because it had a snake in it. And if you were here last night or the night before, I told you how I feel about snakes. Hate them all. Hate them all. If I see one in the road, I'm going to run over it, back up, run over it again. Blow my horn and shout to the Lord, son. Hate them all. And so I looked over and there's that two-foot python in the bottom of that aquarium. And that's about two feet too big, son. Now, folks, listen to me. I'm afraid of them. Now, there was a lid on top of that thing, but I'm telling you, I looked at that thing, preacher, and my blood just ran a little cold, and I'm looking at that beady-eyed thing looking out at me. He said, Brother Rick, you don't have a problem with snakes, do you? I said, oh, no. I tried to lie my way through it. I hate them. I'm telling you, I didn't want to stay there, but I wanted to man up. I wanted to be a man and stay there. I'm t Folks, I didn't rest. I was preoccupied with that dumb snake. Every night I'd walk in the room after church, I'd turn the light on. First thing I'd look is that aquarium. Every time I woke up in the morning, I'd sleep facing that aquarium, and I'd look up, and I'd see that aquarium. I'm telling you, I kept my eyes on that aquarium all the time. I just was blown away by it. I was just scared to death, that, too little, uh, that little two-foot snake. Well, buddy, I come home one day, pastor and I had been to lunch, and I come back to go in that room to study. I did what I did every day, opened the door and looked in, and the aquarium was empty. Now, folks, I had instant fear and I thought, I began to do this. I'm surveying the room, and I thought, okay, he might be behind me. He thinks I'm a big rat or something. He's sizing me up. He might be behind me. Now, folks, 
You can call me a sissy. I really don't give a rip. I'm going to tell you what I did. Son, I thought he might be behind me, so so I got to get in the room now and be sure where he's at. So I jumped, and I can't do this now, but it was impressive then. I jumped from a standing still position, and I jumped and air walked. I'd have made LeBron proud. I air walked, boys, and I landed right in the middle of that bed. And I'm standing looking, and I looked at the door and realized that snake's not there. And I'm looking around the room. So finally, I thought, okay, he's not behind me. So I'm jumping off the bed, and I'm running out of the room. I did that. Full-grown man ran right out of the room, ran down the hall. I don't care if you think I'm a sissy or not. I ran down the hall, and I ran in the living room, and there's that 14-year-old boy home early from school sitting on the couch with that snake draped around his neck. He said, Brother Rick, hope you don't mind. I've been missing my snake. I'm thinking, boy, you really need to get out more. He said, I'm missing my snake. And he said, I couldn't hardly wait to just hold him. And I went in your room to get him. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to tell y'all something, son. I want to choke that kid with that snake that day. I want to tie, I want to make a bow tie around his neck. I'm telling you right now, I was scared to death. Now, y'all might think that's silly. But I want y'all to know, I remember the two nights of utter fear and frustration and restlessness I had sleeping in the same room with a snake. And I want to tell y'all something else. Ever since I have been living on planet Earth, I have lived with the worst snake of all. As soon as I got here, when I was born, he was in the earth. He's the one that slithered into the Garden of Eden. He's the one that poisoned the first man and woman. He's the one responsible for all the sin and sickness and sorrow and suffering in the world. And I've read my Bible carefully, son. And I've read where the Bible says one of these days, I'm going to live in a world the snake will not live in. I'm going to live in a place where there is no grief and there is no heartache, a place where Satan doesn't slither around. And I don't know about you, son, but I don't want to live in this world with a snake and then die and go to hell with him and spend eternity with him. And God's told me a way out because the Bible says hell is prepared for the devil. Do you understand what he says in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when he says, one day an angel is going to pick up the devil and cast him into the lake of fire. Son, that word cast means to throw with authority. I got a picture of an all pro quarterback winding up and hitting a receiver 60 yards downfield with great authority. What do you think the grandstand in heaven's going to do, son, when old Lucifer hits the pit? I don't know what we're going to shout. We might shout, burn, baby, burn. Aren't you glad you're going to live in a world without the devil, son? Because a snake must have a cage. I'm telling you the reason there's a hell. There's a hell because it's not made for you. It's made for the devil and his angels. And a snake must have a cage. But I'm not finished. i got to preach to you. There's a second reason there's a hell. There's a hell not only because a snake must have a cage. There's a hell because sin must have consequences. Funny to say that one more time. Sin must have consequences. Look what he says in verse 41 again of Matthew chapter 25. Somebody needs this. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. So the Bible says hell is a place for the devil and his angels. And then, Brother David, when I read that, the Bible says cursed. He's talking to human beings. And that word cursed, are you listening? That word cursed literally means ready to be sentenced. Comes from a word that means a sentence to be carried out. 
Now somebody's going to sit there and I'd say, preacher, how cruel. How in the world can you preach that? Why would a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. Sin sends people to hell. Understand the reason there's a hell. God offers you a way out. The reason there's a hell is because sin must have consequences. And preacher, I know in this generation, we have tried by semantics to change the hideousness of sin. We put, as someone said, new labels on old bottles of poison. But I want you to know, God still calls it sin. I want you to know, man may call abortion the termination of a pregnancy. God Almighty still calls it murder. Man may call homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. God still calls it an abomination. Man may call pornography a simple addiction. God still calls it an affliction. Man may call the crimes of this world a choice. God still calls them a crime. The Bible says we're sinners. We're born sinners. Nothing you could do to get it, you inherited it. If you've ever had a bad thought, ever said a bad word, ever done a bad deed, that qualifies you as a sinner. And because my God is holy, my God must punish sin. Sin cannot get into heaven. God must punish it. My little granddaughter is now six years old. When that little girl was two years old, she had a tremendous temper. She did. Buddy, she was at my house one day, and I was off the road, and she was, she was probably two years old, and she was eating her food or beanie weenies or whatever and tater tots, and I'm sitting there eating with her, and my wife and my daughter was there. She was on, we only had two grandkids in those days, and all of a sudden, that little girl wanted what I had. I'd finished eating, and I made the mistake of getting a cookie, and she wanted a cookie. Her mother said, you can't have a cookie until you finish your food. And I watched that little girl pitch a fit. My mama used to call her a hissy fit. I mean, she pitched a hissy fit. When her mama said she couldn't have a cookie, she said, I want a cookie. I watched that little girl, that cherry-faced angelic child, pick that plate up and turn it over and throw it on the floor. Our two little wiener dogs were having a buffet, man, underneath the table. <laughs> I watched that little girl pick up that sippy cup and throw it on the floor. I mean, you, she could have killed a wiener dog if she'd have hit him with that sippy cup. I watched her wad up that mat and throw it on the floor. Preacher, she pitched a fit. And that little angelic girl, she just pitched a tantrum. Her mother, my daughter, jerked her up, spanked her behind, and put her in the living room in a little chair she had designated as the timeout chair where she spent a great deal of her early childhood in that timeout chair. Now, folks, here's the problem. We talked about this at lunch the other day, Brother David. I'm a grandfather now. I'm not a father. See, I don't understand. I used to punish my kids severely, but my grandkids are perfect, and I don't understand. They've got mean parents who punish them all the time. <laughs> Grandparents, can I get a witness? I don't understand that. And so I'm watching that little cherry-faced angel with tears rolling down her face, and she's looking at me like, help her, and she's in her timeout chair. And it was my job now to try to get by her and go to my room without breaking my heart. And I looked over that little child, and she's holding her arms up, big old crocodile tears rolling down her face and I thought oh she's been there long enough been a minute minute and a half and I started to walk over there and get her I started to get her out of that chair teenagers my wife and my daughter sent me to my room I'm telling you what they did they put me in time out, man. I got put in time out because I wanted to rescue my little daughter. 
granddaughter. What you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say, my God, are you listening? My holy God is not an indulgent grandfather. My holy God is a holy father. He does not wink at sin. He does not turn his back on sin. He does not say it's okay. I want you to know that there is sin and sin cannot get in heaven. Would you get your mind off how bad somebody else is or what somebody else has done? Would you get your mind off the fact that you've never murdered anybody or hurt anybody? Folks, people don't go to hell because of what they do. They go to hell because of what they don't do. They don't come to the foot of an old rugged cross and be cleansed of their sin. The only way to miss hell is the blood of Jesus. That's the only way. The reason there's a hell is not you. The reason there's a hell is the devil. But people are going to go to hell, preacher, because they're sinners. I'm not finished. I'll preach to you, number one, the reason there's a hell. I believe if Jesus could stand here, there'd be a second thing he'd tell you tonight. Not only the reason there's a hell, I believe Jesus would tell us the realities of hell. The realities of hell. Look what he says in that same chapter of Matthew, teenagers. Chapter 25, look at verse 49. Jesus said, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. That word means torment, but the righteous into life eternal. Brother Shane, I'll tell you how God changed my heart with this message. I preached on hell many times in my life, but I don't know. There was something about reading the words of Jesus in all the texts. God got a hold of me and convicted me about taking any humor out of hell's sermons. Specifically when we talk on hell. Now everybody knows this. I like to laugh. I like to laugh. Matter of fact, there's some Baptists that need to laugh a little more. Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. If some of y'all will smile once in a while, you might feel better. I'm going to tell you that right now. I love to laugh. Matter of fact, I heard a good joke a few weeks ago that I'd forgotten. It's an old joke. Boy, it's a goodie too. You heard the joke about the cardiologist that turned down the street of a town and saw his 85-year-old heart patient jogging. And right next to that 85-year-old heart patient, he was jogging with a beautiful 30-year-old woman. And the cardiologist couldn't believe it. He pulled over, jumped out of the car and said, dude, what are you doing? The old man said, what do you mean? He said, I turned down this street. I see you jogging with a 30-year-old woman and you're 85 years old. He said, well, doc, all I'm doing is taking your advice. Last time I was in your office, you gave me some advice. And the doc said, what advice? He said, doc, last time I was in your office, you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doc said, I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur, be careful. And some of you sour pusses didn't even crack a smile then, man. <laughs> Say, Rick, why in the world would you tell that joke? What's that got to do with anything? Nothing. I just want you to laugh for the last time. Because God has so convicted me in this message that from now on, and I won't be long, students, from this point of the message, there'll be no more laughter. There'll be no more humor. There's nothing funny about this place Jesus talked about. And I've already prayed this, God, help me to preach this with a broken, burdened heart. For Jesus Christ now will give us the realities of hell, this place he called torment. This one place, this one book right here calls a place of everlasting fire, a place of eternal fire, a place that's a lake of fire. So everybody knows where I'm going before I wrap this sermon up. When Jesus talks about the realities of hell, I want you to let the Lord Jesus speak. Let's turn to one of his most famous sermons on hell ever preached. Go to Luke chapter 16. Everybody knows where I'm going. Luke 16. And I want you to hear this, student adult. Jesus gives us some realities of this place called hell. And I believe Jesus wants everybody to know it tonight. Number one, I believe Jesus wants to know this. 
I believe Jesus wants us to know that hell is a conscious place. I need to say that one more time. Hell's a conscious place. Look what he says, teenagers, in verse 22. Here's a man that went to hell. The Bible says it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, watch this. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And see, Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Everybody stop for a moment. He's conscious. If you'll study the text, this old boy's got all of his five senses. He can touch, taste, see, smell, and hear. The Bible says he's in a place called hell and he's conscious. See, Rick, why in the world would you preach that to students? Because you better hear me, student. If you're a teenager here tonight, or especially if you're in college, sometime within the next few years, you might be confronted on some campus or by some liberal teacher with the theories on hell that are very popular today. They become trendy. One of them's from a best-selling book, a 400-page book. There are two theories circulating around hell today that people embrace because they're easy to believe. They're soft on the mind. One of them is the theory of annihilationism. Annihilationism, a trendy best-selling book came out on it five years ago. Annihilationism simply says that if you're lost, you're just going to cease to exist. They're just going to disappear. That there is no pain, there is no agony, there is no conscious place. Annihilationism. There's a second theory on hell that especially those in their 20s and 30s like to grasp. And it's the one called universalism. And universalism says this. Universalism says that God is that doting grandfather. That at the end, God's going to say, just kidding. Going to let everybody into heaven at the end because God's a loving God. And if you do good and you help people and you contribute to good causes and you take care of your kids and all those things and you're good and moral, you're going to go to heaven. Because at the end, God's going to let everybody in. God's just going to wink at sin and say, it's okay. Those are two trendy theories. And they're best-selling books written by PhDs that extol them. You say, well, Brother Rick, how do you know that they're not true? Because I've got the best-seller of all time right here in my hand. And it's written by the best Savior. And the best Savior who cannot lie tells me a man went to hell and he was utterly conscious of his surroundings. Not going to be long. For hell's a conscious place. I believe Jesus wants us to know this. Hell's not only a conscious place, hell is a crying place. Look what he says in verse 24. Teenagers, the Bible said he cried. I don't know if you were here, was it Sunday night? Sunday night I preached about a woman that cried. The Bible says to shriek. This is the Greek word for that Hebrew word. It means to shriek. This means to wail. I want everybody to understand this is a picture of an animal in torment. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment ascends up and they have no rest day or night. It's a place of agony. So when anybody understands something, the Bible said they're crying. The coolest teenager, the toughest man. The Bible said they're shrieking in agony. Suppose our wonderful sound text. And let me, can I take a moment and thank these wonderful sound texts that you have? They always know what's going on. My batteries are always good. I'm, I mean it. And I'm in churches all over the country. I want you to thank those guys or those women for the job they do so you can hear, man. Because, it's, guys, it's awesome. Awesome. I've never had to worry about sound all week, and that's a thrill. Suppose our wonderful sound techs, though, had the capability tonight if we could engineer an opening in this floor. And suppose we could open up this floor and roll it back, Brother Shane, and our wonderful sound techs had a long, 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 long cord, and they could lower that cord down in the middle of hell tonight. And suppose they could turn up the volume so everybody would hear in this building. What in the world do you think we would hear? First of all, we would hear the most blasphemous, hideous cursing that you could imagine. People that are railing and crying and screaming in the face of God Almighty. But I tell you what else we would hear. 
We would hear horrible sounds like this. We would hear somebody in the middle of hell saying, I just want one more revival meeting. One more invitation. One more verse of just as I am. One more opportunity, not let the big crowd scare me. One more chance just to walk down that aisle and give my life to Christ. Preacher, somebody in hell will be screaming, I'd like to see one more brother Shane stand down front and say, we're going to sing one more verse. Somebody in hell screaming for that other chance that's coming. And they're screaming forever. Somebody there who may be a 16-year-old boy whose life ended early. Say, but it's not fair. It's not fair I left this world at 16. I should have had more time. There are people there much older than me. I didn't have time. If I'd had more time, I know I ignored the call, but I didn't have time. And they're screaming. There are people in hell that are screaming that they're good and moral and decent. And good, moral, decent people have no business going to this place. There are people in hell screaming that are saying, I was the salt of the earth. I gave people the shirt off my back. I was a good parent. I was a good student. I was a good husband or a good wife. And I'm going to tell you, you better mark this down, Maysville. There are people screaming in hell saying, would somebody down at the Maysville Baptist Church drive down the street one more time and tell my mama or my daddy or my husband or my wife what they've got to do not to come to this place? And they're screaming every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, forever. For it's a crying place. I believe Jesus would want us to know it's a conscious place. I believe he wants to know it's a crying place. I'm not finished. I believe Jesus would want us to know it's a compassionless place. Somebody needs this. Look at verse number 24. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy. Everybody say the word mercy. Mercy. Have mercy on me. Circle that word. That word means compassion. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. I was preaching in Kentucky one night, preacher, a few years ago, and I was preaching at the great white throne judgment. That end time event when all those who were lost then are poured into the lake of fire. When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Preacher, there was probably 500 people in the building that night. And at the very end of my sermon, I still had about 10 minutes to go. This full-grown man in the back of the church stood up to the top of his lungs when I was preaching about folks being cast into hell. And he screamed, what a cruel God. Never forget that. He stormed out of the building. It took a minute to calm everybody down. I say, Brother Rick, what would you do? You, you rebuke him? No, number one, he was gone. Number two, he was lost. He doesn't understand. It's like trying to explain a sunset to a blind man. God's got to reveal it to you. There's no sense of me arguing with anybody. But I preach, I had to wait for the crowd to calm down, try to get back on track, and I just continued on with the sermon. But he yelled, what a cruel God, because that's the concept, isn't it, preacher? How can this God that we hear about that's got mercy suddenly have no mercy? Don't you understand? Can I say it real clear? There's plenty of mercy right now. Right now, there's mercy. Don't you dare sit there and say, this is a cruel God. This is a God that's given us so much mercy. We're already going to get what we don't deserve, man. Because the Bible says all of us deserve to be out of his presence. But he sent Jesus to die on a cross, spread his arms this wide and said, I love you this much. And he died on a cross as if you'd been the only sinner in the world. Jesus would have died for you. God's already done everything he can do. He sent the Son of God. He sent the Spirit of God to convict you. He sent the word of God to be preached by preachers. He's already done all that he can do. Now the choice is yours. And if you miss it in this life and die without Jesus, there is no mercy. There's no mercy. There's plenty of mercy. 
Numbers 14, 18 says, our God is long-suffering and of great mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 says, my God is rich in mercy. Well, blind Bartimaeus sat at the gate in the Gospel of Mark, and when Jesus passed by, Bartimaeus heard he was there, and everybody made fun of Bartimaeus, walked on him every day. He was a homeless man looking for a handout. He was in their way, the thoroughfare. But buddy, when he heard that day Jesus was passing by, don't you remember? He cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Aren't you glad he stopped by your gate one day, son? Because you cried for mercy. But I'm telling you because I love you, the day will come when there will be no more mercy. Mercy will run out with your last heartbeat. There'll be no more mercy. Not finished. I'm close. Jesus wanted everybody to know that hell is a conscious place. It's a crying place. It's a compassionless place. And it's a continual place. Look what the Bible says in verse 26. Beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass us that would come from this. Everybody understand? It's forever. There are no paroles. There are no getting out of jail free cards. There is no window to climb out of. There is no door to unlock. Preacher Shane's had this happen. Brother David, every other preacher in this building, Brother Mark, I know you guys have had it happen one time in your life, maybe at a funeral that you preached that was not a member of your church. Maybe somebody came up to you and said, please pray for my mama there in the casket. It's too late, man. Son, once you're gone, the prayer of 10,000 saints won't lift you out of hell. Once you're gone, you can light every candle in the world and not lift somebody out of hell. And I know this is an ugly sermon. Did I tell you that? Did I also tell you I didn't want to preach it? Did I tell you that? I'm just being honest with you. I'd a whole lot rather preach on the rapture. I'd a whole lot rather preach on the joy of the church. I'd surely love to preach on heaven because nobody wants to hear this kind of sermon. We're living in a day nobody wants to hear. Hell has been frozen out of many pulpits because nobody wants to hear it. Many pastors value their job security. That's why they won't preach it. I said, Brother Rick, why in the world are you preaching it? Because I'm a puny preacher, and all I know is my role model preacher is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if Jesus can preach it, bless God, I need to preach it. Because somebody here, somebody here needs to be warned. Soon as suppose you and I went to India on a mission trip, and you and I are standing by the banks of a beautiful river as the sun's setting one night. And all of a sudden, your back is to the jungle, and I see a king cobra come slithering out of the jungle, 15 foot long, one of the deadliest snakes on the planet. And that cobra's looking for rats or scavenging for food somewhere, but he's coming straight for us because we're between him and the mission compound. And all of a sudden, I see that cobra coming, and I'm talking to you. He's 100 feet behind you, and I'm talking how beautiful the sunset is. He's 50 feet behind you, now, and I'm talking about how magnificent the day was. He's 25 feet behind you, now, and I'm talking about how much fun we're having. He's right behind you now, I'm telling you a joke. And all of a sudden, that cobra raises, it up, raises up on that incredibly strong body and flares that hood like they do and draws that head back with those black eyes, sinks his fangs into your body. The strike alone knocks you down. You're going to be dead in eight minutes. You're laying there as your respiratory system begins to fail, and that snake slithers across you, and I jump up on a rock because, after all, I don't want to get bit. You say to me, preacher, wasn't that a king cobra? Yeah, it bit me. Did you know that? Yeah. Preacher, didn't you see him coming? Yeah, I confess, I saw him coming. Well, preacher, why in the world didn't you warn me there was a snake behind me? And I say, well, I want you to feel good about yourself. I didn't warn you because I want you to leave here with a good attitude. I didn't warn you because I want you to like me. I didn't warn you because I didn't want to upset your system and cause you to stress. Folks, can I tell you a man that won't preach on hell 
is worse than a fireman that won't go into a blazing building to put somebody out. A policeman that won't preach on hell, a preacher that won't preach on hell is worse than a policeman that doesn't try to rescue a victim from being killed. A preacher that don't preach on hell is worse than a doctor that will not operate on cancer. A preacher that don't preach on hell is worse than a lifeguard that sits on his stand and watches somebody slip under the current and be carried away to their death. I'm telling you, I love you, but it doesn't matter how much I love you. There's somebody that loves you more than that, and his name is Jesus, and he gave his life so you wouldn't have to go to hell. Hallelujah. I've got one more and I'm done. If Jesus Christ could stand here tonight, I believe Jesus would tell us the reason there's hell. If Jesus Christ were here tonight, I believe he would tell us the realities of hell. And I'm done right now. If Jesus were here tonight, I believe he would tell us the residents that are in hell. Do you know the Bible lists hell next door neighbors? It does. And it's not a red letter edition in your Bible, but it's all the word of God. Revelation chapter 21, and I'm done. God tells us, that, teenagers, God tells us exactly who's going to be in hell. Look what he says in Revelation 21 verse 8. Look what God says. God says in Revelation 21, 8, the very last book of the Bible, God says this. Verse 8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have the part of the lake which burns with fire and brimstone with just second death. Now, don't count them right now. If I'm not mistaken, there's about eight different characteristics there or eight different characters of people. Now, the last six is easy to believe. Isn't it, Brother Shane? All the crime in the world, all the sin in the world is found in those last eight or those last six. Because you're going to find adultery, you're going to find immorality, you're going to find perversion, you're going to find predators, you're going to find murderers, you're going to find all criminals in those last six. And, and that's easy to stomach. And I know where I'm preaching. I'm preaching in the deep south. And if you're a conservative, Bible-believing Christian, you believe this, that people ought to pay for their crime. Oh, come on, son. In Jacksonville, Florida, we've just had one of the longest trials in the history of Jacksonville over a man last named Smith who molested and killed a late-year-old girl five years ago. And it's just come trial. They just gave him the death sentence last week. And it has been a very volatile, emotional subject in Jacksonville. Front page news. This man ought to pay for his crime because, folks, that's what we believe about hell. We believe that all those that have done perverted things. See, us in this building, we don't have a problem with the Hitler hell. Oh, come on, son. Hitler ought to be in hell. We don't have a problem with a Osama bin Laden hell or a Saddam Hussein hell. But I, I'm going to preach this. And I, I know folks, folks get nervous about, about it when an evangelist preaches, but I'm not a confusing preacher. Has it ever occurred to you the first two on that list are the religious people? The, the first two has nothing to do with the crime. Look at the first two, y'all. But the fearful and unbelieving. Those are the first two. And I'm going to go ahead and say, Brother Shane, I believe hell will be made up primarily of religious people. Because everybody believes in something. Soonest, you know what the word fearful means? The word fearful means afraid to identify. Brother Shane, you've seen it. I've seen grown men hold on to a pew, white knuckle a pew during an invitation to keep from coming to Christ. I've seen them pick up a baby and play with them. I've seen grown men get up and go to the car and wait for their wife. Grown, tough, macho men who were afraid to step out. There are cool students here. Now, students, I love you with all my heart, but some of you guys are so cool, you don't dare step out in front of this crowd. What about your reputation? Let me tell you something. There are no reputations in hell. Nobody's cool in hell. There is no peer pressure in hell. But that's why folks don't get saved. Many folks will never get saved because they're afraid. Preacher, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Let Brother Shane come by my house when there's not 600 people, 500 people. 
I'm going to wait and let him come by my house. But that's not when you come. You come when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and draws you. But the second one, and I'm finished, the unbelievers. Say, well, Brother Rick, that's not me because I believe. Well, the devil believes. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles. See, you can believe the Word of God. You can believe there's a Son of God. You can believe in the resurrection of the Son of God. You can believe in church. You can believe in everything and die and go to hell. Preacher, I've thought about this. And here's what people don't like when evangelists preaches this way. Billy Graham said in the 1970s, 70% of all church members are lost. Preacher, I would have never believed that, though I love Billy Graham, until I became a traveling evangelist 30 years ago. Oh, come on, son. You can't find some church members with a search warrant. Some of them know nothing about the things of God or Word of God, but I'll tell you what's worse than that. Somebody that's there all the time, that walked down an aisle at one time, or their parents told them they were baptized, and they've always been in church because they're in the Bible Belt, and it's the decent thing to do, but they're not really saved. See, there's a difference between believing and receiving. Old preacher used to say some people go to hell because of 18 inches. You can believe all your life, but until you receive and surrender means nothing. My wife, Judy, is the greatest Christian I've ever known. Judy and I were married 10 years, Brother Shane. One night I was preaching at a church in Florida, a big church I pastored, wonderful church. The church I left to go into traveling evangelism. Had my head bowed when the invitation started. Our associate pastors were down there. And all of a sudden I heard somebody say, Rick. And I looked up and standing in front of me is the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife, Judy. Tears rolling down her face. My wife, the first lady of the church, looked at me and said, honey, I'm lost. I was rocked. My wife taught preschool. My wife had the biggest smile in the choir. My wife, I'd lived with a woman for 10 years. My wife. But I was shook. So preacher, I got down on my knees at that altar with my sweet wife. Associate pastor took my place, and my wife told me this story. She said, honey, when I was a little girl, I walked down the aisle. And by the way, children get saved. We had children get saved last night. See, the thing with children is us helping them with assurance because their, their, their hearts are tenderer than ours are. So I walked down the aisle when I was eight years old, but nobody took a Bible, Shane. Nobody told me about Jesus. They just signed a card, welcomed me in the church. Isn't that tragic? She said, and when I was 14 years old, an evangelist came to town Preached a sermon kind of like I'm preaching tonight. He preached on hell. She said, it scared me to death. She said, I walked down the same aisle. This time somebody prayed with me, but I did not repent. I did not surrender. I knew nothing about receiving. I was a good moral girl all through high school. Good, pure, and clean. Married a preacher. I got news for you, son. Jesus said in Matthew 7, being a preacher won't get you to heaven. Living with a preacher sure won't get you to heaven. My wife said, she said two things at that altar. I'm telling you before we bow our heads. Right there at that altar, she said two things. She said, Rick, I'm coming tonight. And she said, so long I've held on and held on because you're pastor of this church. And I've been concerned about your reputation, what everybody thinks. My wife said this to me. My precious petite wife at that altar said this to me. She said, but I'm not going to hell because of what everybody thinks. And the second thing my wife said, every time this would come up, Rick, over the years, the devil would remind me of everything I do in the church how much I come, how much I serve, how much I give. And then my wife said this to me. This is a direct quote from the altar. She said, but it suddenly hit me. I don't go to heaven because of what I do. I go because of what he's done on the cross of Calvary. You know what I did? I prayed with my wife. She got saved. I stood my wife up in front of that church. Y'all know what they did? Say, yeah, they fired you. Oh, no, they shouted. They rejoiced. 
And over the next six weeks, 37 lost church members got saved in our church because that woman took a stand for Jesus and said, I don't want to be religious, I want to be real. We've taken a trip to hell, and now we're back. Thank God. Be sure you don't take a trip there one day and stay. Bow with me all over the building. Nobody's moving, none of our musicians. Every head about every eye closed. Nobody in the house. I recognize some things about this great church. Number one, this has been a great church revival. Folks have been saved. What a great church revival. Second thing I recognize, churches where people get saved all the time do not often have great harvest. Now, aren't you glad that people get saved here all the time? But I believe there's somebody here tonight that needs to get saved. I be- Listen, I'm not confusing. The Holy Ghost will tell you there's a difference between Holy Ghost conviction and satanic confusion. But there's somebody here tonight that needs to settle it in their soul. Some of you need to settle it and nail it down and get baptized. I'm just telling the truth. Not trying to get you to walk an aisle, not trying to add to the church records. Some of you have been miserable about it for so long. It's time to nail it, walk away from it, and leave it alone. Somebody here needs to pray right where you're sitting. Nail down your salvation. Somebody here right where you're sitting has no kind of church affiliation. You're lost, and God brought you to this place tonight, and you need Jesus. Right now, I'm going to stand on this platform. I'm going to stand on this floor down from this platform, and I'm going to do what we did last night. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith. Invite you to pray this in your heart. I'm going to pray it out loud. It means nothing because it comes from a puny preacher. You're not praying to me. You're praying to Jesus. But I really believe, preacher, somebody here tonight needs to settle their salvation. So I want you to pray this prayer after me. Those who desire to receive, to receive, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm tired of the fight, tired of the struggle. I'm settling it right now. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. You are Lord. So Jesus, right now, the best way I know how, I repent of my sins. I confess you right now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. I will not look back. It is settled. One day, I will take a trip to heaven because I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name I pray.